we need to make sure that we now, all of us, tell the story of supply chain in an easy, simple and clear way. And with this, basically improve also the performance of the supply chains around the world. That was Knut Aleke talking about supply chain leadership, the topic for discussion of today's episode of McKinsey Talks Operations, a podcast where the world's C-suite leaders and McKinsey experts cut through the noise and uncover a new operational reality. I'm your host, Daphne Luchtenberg, and I'm pleased to welcome back to McKinsey Talks Operations, Knut Aleke, partner from McKinsey's Stuttgart office and one of the very first guests on this podcast series when we kicked it off. Welcome back, Knut. Hi, Daphne. Very happy to be here. And joining us as well today is Radu Palamerio. Radu is the Managing Director of Asia-Pacific and Europe for Allcott Global. Hi, Daphne. Radu and Knut, you've collaborated for a number of years, and now you've joined forces to co-author this book, From Source to Sold, Stories of Leadership in Supply Chain. Congratulations on getting it done, and great to see the momentum and excitement building for the book. It is a good read, and I love the stories it tells, and it's really easy to dip in and out of. So may I ask you, what made you both want to create this now? Thanks a lot, Daphne, and it's great to be on the podcast. So why did we make this book now? If we go back, it's probably kind of one and a half, maybe two years, where Radu and I talked about all the disruptions we had back then and still have, to be very, very clear. And we talked about the importance of supply chain. And both of us felt that supply chain is super important. And we also felt that there's not a lot of leaders or board members with a supply chain background. And the idea was to change that. And then we looked in to get some more numbers. We looked into the, the Fortune 200 companies and found that there's only 11% of the CEOs who have a supply chain background. And Tim Cook, Apple clearly being one of the most prominent. And we ask ourselves the question, hmm, why is that? Is it because um, supply chain leaders are kind of too much of nerdy characters? They cannot lead a company. Is it other reasons? So we said that, hey, why don't we find board members, chief supply chain officers, so people with a background in supply chain who made it to the board and basically conduct interviews with them to understand their story and with this kind of distill what stands out for them and what makes them different. And this is basically, it was a super interesting journey. We learned a lot. We had super contributors. And then we were very proud to release the book finally in, uh, in October uh, last year. And we also get great feedback, not only from people reading it, but we also do a lot of keynotes where people say, hey, this is great stuff. And this is um, a very good read, very good insights, and really helps them to improve. I'm not surprised, actually. As I mentioned before, it's kind of a book that you can dip in and out of. And I think what's so helpful is the pragmatic examples that each of your interviewees brings. Radio, I wanted to come over to you. There's always been this idea, right, that supply chains only get attention when something goes wrong. And certainly in the last few years, that has been the case. But can leaders, supply chain leaders, shift this narrative, even despite the fact that we're still really having to navigate quite a lot of turbulence? It's probably not only the last years, but maybe from the beginning of time. <laughs> but in general, I guess let's just think from a pragmatic you and me uh, waiting for the courier to deliver our 
package perspective. If they do it on time, at best we say thank you, but we don't really think there's something in particularly extraordinary that they've done. If they don't do it, if there's a delay of one, two, three days, we get upset. So that's kind of the analogy of what most of us and what most companies and what most supply chain executives have had to face. When and if it goes well, great, it's in the background, nobody cares. When and if it goes wrong, then they get called into the board meetings. And that has specifically happened a lot in the last two years. Most of us not working in supply chain, most of our families, let's let's put it, that have nothing to do with supply chain. I don't think they've even thought about Suez Canal and anything to do with shipping up till that ship got getting stuck there. So then all of a sudden it became and it came to everybody's awareness. And also to me, it's a blessing in disguise. Supply chain came at the forefront of most discussions, most CEO uh, reports and so on. So I would say that gave and it's a good thing because it gave even more prominence to the chief supply chain officers, chief operations officers. They have a seat at the table. Now, to your point with shifting the narrative and maybe not even shifting, but consciously dictating the narrative of supply chain, that is up to them. And that is, I would say, with great power comes great responsibility, like they say in Spider-Man. That is their role. So they need to change and shift the narrative of supply chain from uh, perhaps only putting out fires or dealing with problems or dealing with issues to a narrative that on top of that, because there's always going to be issues, and I think that will never go away. But on top of that, supply chain actually is a competitive advantage. And it should be a competitive advantage of companies. So it's the role of the CEO, the CSEO, and hopefully the intent and the ultimate goal of this book that Knut and I wrote to give people the examples of how they can shape these narratives inside their companies. How other 26 C-level executives did it in their own respective industries, which are quite diverse. We've taken people from all over the, the world, all over industries, and how they could do it too in a manner that the board and the CEO would certainly see supply chain as a competitive and essential function. I love that. And actually, what I noticed is one of your interviewees was talking about the fact that supply chain is now going through a renaissance period. How do you see that playing out, Knut? As Radu said, we see the importance of supply chain. And, and maybe if we just cannot go back before the pandemic, and then we had the, we had the first lockdowns, right? And we always read articles on, hey, supply chains are not working. I would say it's the contrary. Supply chains did work to the extent possible. What happened was that we had, so to say, a supply crisis, which we did not have since the 70s. So that means that demand was high. You look into the demand because uh, countries like U.S. flooded their people with money. So they started to buy. They started to renovate their house and China could deliver. So basically, that means that demand was skyrocketing and the supply chains tried their very best to deliver and they were just overloaded. So that is something that that it stick, right? So, hey, we, we cannot get our Christmas presents. But on the other hand, no one of us did starve. So the food supply chain did work. Essential supply chain did work. So all of that did work. With this, we indeed see a, a renaissance. But if you think about the topic itself, it's not that it's kind of 100 years old. So you could always say, hey, logistics is super old because all the army basically started logistics. So the physical flow part of supply chain. But all of these planning topics, working together, collaboration, digital, and so on, that is a pretty new topic. So it's getting there. And what we saw with the last three years was clearly a massive acceleration. Everyone talks about it. 
And I like what Radu said on kind of um, we we have a seat at the table, right? We have a seat at the table at the board. And now we need to make sure that we keep it. We prove that supply chain is helping to be more competitive, that we have the right pre-warning system, so to say. We have um, the right process. We have the right IT systems to back this up, to make sure that we continue to innovate and with this help to increase the resilience of the company. And we need to kind of tell this story. We need to tell the story that, hey, in this disruption, we still were able to deliver nine out of 10 on time, where supply chain people would normally always focus on, oh, this one I delivered not on time, but they would forget that, hey, and 90% was fine, right? So, and for the remaining 10%, we also find a solution. Really good. And also um, you and Radu kind of call it out as one of the key success levers, um, which is to move away from thinking about one silo and really challenging what I think we're calling siloization. But you talk about supply chain experts getting sometimes stuck in their world and that the success of the real uh, supply chain leaders and getting the seat at the board table and the executive management um, table and being able to have that wider narrative is about, you know, looking across the silos and shaking hands. Is that right? Radu, what are you seeing people do successfully? In my view, the big shift that needs to happen and I hope will happen, and it is my strong belief that it will eventually happen at the larger supply chain and operations community is a mindset shift where they have to own, <laughs> they have to own the great work that they're doing. So I would say that is a shift that is happening already. I'm very happy that we have even this 11% of the people that have transitioned to the CEO from supply chain and operations. I think we should have and we will have more. But I just wanted to emphasize how important mindset and our own mindset as supply chain professionals is in all this in all this uh, respect. And it's the same principle with if they're not inviting you at the table, bring yourself your own chair and sit at the table. <laughs> And there's a piece there which is kind of around giving yourself permission to look at the bigger picture, which perhaps if you're an expert and you're really looking at um, finding the answer to the very specific question, you might feel that you don't have time to have a look at the bigger picture and to be able to sketch where the function that you're performing is actually having impact. And I was listening to one of our senior partners um, talk about the importance of a new muscle, which is the geopolitical muscle. And that must play specifically to the supply chain practice, right, Knut? Yes, definitely. So what we clearly need, transparency. And we need not only to understand what's what's going on in a plant, what's going on with the supplier, what's going on with our customer. We clearly need to also understand all of these uh, macro tensions, all of this geopolitical uh, problems that is going on. And why is that important? Because the supply chain leader, by definition, is looking end to end. So from customer to supplier. And if there is tension that will affect either our customers or our suppliers or something in between, and we want to make sure that we are we are agile, we are kind of delivering to the promise. So we need, need to make sure that we that we understand that. What we do with this understanding is then also very important that we then take different scenarios and model those scenarios. So what would happen if, and with this, we kind of paint the future and look into different scenarios. And with this, we prepare for the future. And now the question is, how do we get there? How do we, how do we get all of these understandings? And that was very interesting from a lot of our contributors. I would say they are all eager to learn. They're all 
eager to listen, to have discussions on conferences, to kind of, they are all active, very active on LinkedIn. And with this kind of, they build their, their own opinion and they kind of get a lot of intake. And with this, they then um, define what does that mean for our supply chain? So this continuous learning is very, very important to also have, to your example, these uh, geopolitical tensions and what it means for our supply chains. And Radu, this kind of comes back to your um, original example, which is learning from each other, right, and sharing best practices. What advice would you give to kind of more people who are just getting on the um, executive ladder and who have been working in supply chain in terms of broadening their horizons? What should be some of the things that they think about? Probably the most impactful pattern that I have seen across both the leaders that we've interviewed in the book, as well as in general, because our day-to-day business is executive search. When we interview all these senior executives, there is an impact of one or several mentors that those mentors had a fast track impact on their career. So I would say ask actively and find mentors that have walked the path that you want to reach. They are already perhaps at the destination and they can teach you how to get there faster. So whatever that might be. Yeah? So if you want to become CEO, find somebody that has done it. If you want to become CSEO, if you want to become the best expert in um, procurement, there's always going to be mentors that you can leverage on that can, can fast track your path to, to success. Now, a very important and interesting angle to mentorship is what is called reverse mentorship in some ways. More specifically, that there's at least two contributors in the book that talk about it, taking advice from a very young professional. So as a CEO, there was one particular contributor, he was a CEO of an electronics company, and he was sharing with us how he took advice on social media, selling electronics on Instagram and on the social channels from a social media influencer that was 30 years younger than him. That reverse mentoring is also an incredibly important piece that the best leaders both in the book as well as just in real life, as well as in general, applies greatly. It's not just people that have walked the path in, uh, you know, also in terms of age, but it's also younger generation that we can learn a lot. I would say the number one hack, but and it is completely legal hack <laughs> to upgrade and fast track a career is to get the right mentors, whether it is reverse mentoring, whether it is in, in senior positions, whether it's uh, whatever it might be, get the right mentors in place. Great advice. Thanks, Radu. Let's talk a little bit about climbing the ladder. And a lot of the people you guys spoke to took a quite circuitous route to supply chain and then from supply chain into lead, into wider leadership. How do you think that impacts experience and advancement? So how um, helpful has it been to um, for those folks that they actually didn't go directly into the supply chain, but they had a wider experience? There is very diverse development path in, in the book. I would say no one of them, of the contributors, did really start studying supply chain, maybe also because it's a relatively new topic, but then they all kind of enjoyed it, loved it, and, and made their path. What you learn with kind of leading different functions is, is the diversity, the diversity of a company. You clearly learn the importance of customer centricity and you learn that you need to communicate. So the narrative that we have in our chain model, which is honestly the most important element. If you combine this with the holistic approach of a supply chain leader, 
that kind of clearly sets you apart from a lot of other functions that kind of only did grow up in their in their own turf, um, so to say. And with this, you kind of you just understand much better how things work. Radu, would you add to that? One supply chain as a term, it only came up in for the first time. It was in 1983 that somebody mentioned it. Um, I remember at some point I, I got a piece of newspaper and um, and it was the first time that it was mentioned in 1983. So it's a fairly new domain. Um, and none of the people in the book started with a supply chain background, actually, because there was just no bachelor in supply chain, not much formal education in supply chain 20, 30 years ago. But the common thread to add to what Knut said and the, the elements, uh, the chain model are the five clear elements of what makes a great leader in supply chain. But perhaps on top of that, or to unite on that the fundamental level, and this came up in a few of the sharings in the book, most of them focused all the time their careers not on the next shiny promotion, the next shiny title, the next shiny salary, house, <laughs> perks, they focused on value. What is the biggest value that I can bring to the organization that I'm part of? That was the driving force. I mean, don't get me wrong, salary is important, but it's not the most important. And there's a subtle but huge distinction when you focus your career on where can I bring the most value? One of the contributors, she specifically was sharing with us that she was running a multi-billion and thousands of people organization. And then she transitioned into a strategic role reporting to the board, but it was a team of four people. But the value that she brought through those projects propelled her then to become a board member herself. So it's which is the role and the next step that makes and adds the most value to the organization that tends to be the most impactful and helps ultimately in the long run also your career grow the most. Love that. I wanted just to um, pile on there in terms of the teams, right? So it's become managing a supply chain and it has become an increasingly complex proposition. You need a wide um, ranging team, perhaps also a diverse team. What did you learn in your conversations with these executives about how they're putting their teams together and what our winning formula? Knut? We made sure that um, the contributors were also from a diverse background. So we have basically, we cover the world, uh, all regions, we cover men, women, we have different ethnicity. And what we clearly see also, if you look through the contributors, that there are women, but there's still more, more men around. So look for diversity because it always helps. And it's very, very important to watch out for a very diverse group of people for success, because you can always learn from the different cultures, from the different backgrounds. And this only helps you to improve and helps you to manage your supply chain better. Absolutely. I want to make sure that, that we hit on all the key things and learnings that um, you drew from this work. Let me wrap up with a final question. Knut Radu, when you first started out, you talked about what you set out to do. Was there anything or a number of things that ultimately ended up surprising you? We both hoped, Knut and I, that the book would be successful, but we didn't know for sure. And it also depends on the definition of success. But we've had a lot of people that have bought it, that have been giving us feedback on it. We've had universities, we've had professors that are sharing it, uh, the contributors themselves. So I think perhaps a very positive surprise is the extremely good reception of the book by people that, that read it. And that that's probably made the, all the journey and all the effort and all the work that we've done completely worthwhile. 
So that's, I think, it makes us very fulfilled because it's a sign that it is uh, useful. It is useful and and perhaps also the timing was very good. It's at a time where supply chain has been uh, or is at the most prominent it has ever been historically. And then I'll give a specific example of, uh, again, something that made me in particular extremely, extremely happy. There was one reader of the book and she was saying that upon reading, and I asked her, so what was your key takeaway from the book? And she was like, well, look, I started my career as a food scientist. And I ended up in a supply chain by mistake, like most people. <laughs> and I never realized, Radu, that I had a limiting belief around the fact that because I don't have a formal education in supply chain, there's only that far that I can go. And then she continued. But by reading the book, I realized that none of the contributors actually had a supply chain formal education. And there's actually nothing stopping me from becoming a chief supply chain officer or chief operations officer or whatever I might decide to become. Because it's not about the education. It's completely not. So that to me was such a brilliant example and case of, yeah, it's sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And we, we have this also this limiting beliefs that we don't realize. And it is a continuous learning journey, right? The learning doesn't stop when you leave university. Knut, I mean, you've been watching the supply chain practice function, role in the organization, change, grow, mature. What's next? What's next is keep the seat at the table, keep the seat at the board and make sure you continue to innovate. And this one, all the soft facts are super, super important. Everyone in supply chain anyhow has a kind of a technical background. So they all kind of love their, their numbers and algorithms and three-letter acronyms. But this soft part, this is something where I see also over the last uh, 30 years that I have been in supply chain, is getting more and more important. And now I feel with all this lockdown, with all with this with these disruptions, um, now it accelerated so much that we need to keep the pace. We need to make sure that we now, all of us, tell the story of supply chain in an easy, simple, and clear way. And with this, basically improve also the performance of the supply chains around the world. Beautifully said. Thanks, Knut. And we won't have time to go deep into the um, chain model, but what I would say to our listeners is get yourself a copy of the book. It explains very beautifully, clearly, sharply the chain model and the approach to success. And also, there's just some great stories to read up on. Knut and Radu, thank you so much for joining us and looking forward to um, the book just growing and really hitting lots of readers around the world. My pleasure to have been here. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you for listening to McKinsey Talks Operations. Follow the show and stay here for more great operations insights coming up right now. Thank you all for your time today. You've been listening to McKinsey Talks Operations with me, Daphne Luchtenberg. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We'll be back with a brand new episode in a couple of weeks. Music